I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey people, how are we? How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, coming to you the afternoon after the night before, uh, which was a painful one, wasn't it? Really, really painful defeat for Arsenal. 4-1 uh, to Manchester City on the night. And I guess the most damning indictment you could kind of put across about this Arsenal team is that actually that scoreline was was deserved. I mean, I remember around about half time thinking that, you know, we were lucky to only be two down. I remember just before the John Stones goal thinking, wow, we're really lucky to be going in at the break with just a goal um, against us. And that puts us in a position where we've played absolutely uh, disgustingly, but we're still in the game. We're still in this and we've still got something to play for. And, and then you concede that second goal hammer blow it was uh, after the VAR check confirmed that John Stones was indeed onside. And from then, you kind of knew that there was only going to be one outcome. Big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. I hope you're all good. I hope you're all well. Thank you, as always, for being here. I know it's not easy to listen to Arsenal chat after a result like the one we got last night and after a performance like the one we saw last night. Um... We're going to get into all of it. We're going to break it down in a lot of detail. I did uh, an instant reaction uh, piece yesterday from the Etihad Stadium uh, just to give you guys some sort of immediate thoughts because I knew that I was going to be driving back to London through the night. Um, I had somewhere to be this morning. Um, I had a, a ceremony that I needed to be at this morning, which meant that I wasn't going to be available until this afternoon. So I wanted to get something out, but equally... I didn't feel like a, a 15 minute clip or, or podcast bonus episode, whatever it was, or however you want to categorize it, was enough to kind of do justice with regards to what we saw last night and to be able to break it down in any sort of detail. So here I am for a full breakdown of Manchester City for Arsenal 1 in the Premier League. And um, yeah, hopefully a bit of therapy will do us all. Uh, some good. Lots of you in the live chat. Great to see so many of you with us uh, so early on in the live stream. If you haven't done so already, please do leave a like. Please do subscribe. Uh, also, if you're interested in uh, supporting the podcast and getting access to additional content, you can uh, join the Chronicles of Aguna Premium via the link in the description. Uh, you can create an account on the Another Slice platform, sign up, support the Chronicles of Aguna, get access to additional content, player ratings after every Premier League game. Uh, were dropped late last night just before I set off back to London. Um, and of course, uh, from that support uh, that you'd be giving us, we do make a donation over to the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital as well. So you'd be supporting them too. I feel really downbeat. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I've I've tried to remain positive even when we faced difficult moments this season. Now, granted, there haven't been as many as there were in previous years. And I still... I'm very, very pleased with where Arsenal are at in general, with the state of of things at the club, with how we've progressed, um, with where we find ourselves currently. You know, if you told me at the start of the season, I keep saying this, but if you told me we'd be still top of the league at the end of April, I'd have laughed at you. So to be here in itself is a sign of the progress and it's a sign of um, sort of how far we've come. And, and that's obviously brilliant, right? But that doesn't mean when focusing on individual games, individual performances, you can't be critical. And I'm going to be very critical today. Um, not because I think it's a disgrace to go and lose at Manchester City. I think that Manchester City are an unbelievable team. I've been saying it all season. It's why I've been very reluctant to say Arsenal were going to go on and win the Premier League because I knew what we were up against. I understand the quality that Pep Guardiola has at his disposal. And I've repeatedly said that Pep Guardiola as a manager is far more experienced um, in these types of situations, but also generally than Mikel Arteta. It's master versus the apprentice. And no matter how promising the apprentice is, is he ever going to get to the point where he surpasses the master? Maybe, but not at this stage in Mikel Arteta's career. He is still very new to the management game in comparison to those that he's going up against. 
And I think it showed a little bit last night and we'll get into why uh, in a little bit more detail. So uh, we're going to be talking um, about the tactics. We're going to be talking about some individual performances. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the decisions that Mikel Arteta took and, and were they the right decisions. Uh, we'll be talking about power, I think, is a really important thing, looking at what we saw uh, last night. And uh, of course, we'll be taking your thoughts and questions as well from the live chat. So uh, lots and lots to get into in a jam-packed show. Um, so I went up there yesterday. Um, I left around about midday because I had a bit of work to do sort of in the build-up to the game. And I, I'd sort of gone to the Etihad uh, for the FA Cup tie earlier in the season. And that day, I think I left about at 2 p.m., uh, something like that. And it was um, it was it was enough time to get there in good time to be able to see the game. But I felt like, given how much work I had and how bigger occasion this was, and and the fact that I didn't want to be rushing and stressed, uh, I figured I'd go from early. It took me about four hours to drive up there, which um, I know our American listeners will think is is not long at all. But for the UK, that's a pretty big distance. Uh, so it took me about four hours to get up there. Got there with plenty of time, as I say, parked up, got inside the stadium and was just taking it all in and was really excited about the fact that despite my feeling we'd probably lose the game or, or despite the fact I thought it'd be very, very difficult for Arsenal to get anything out of that uh, particular fixture, I was really excited that we were involved in this occasion. I mean, you only had to be inside the stadium uh, sort of before kickoff to understand the magnitude of what was about to happen in front of us broadcasters from all over the world, uh, some big names, heavy hitters. I remember sitting in my press position, just sort of setting up my equipment. And um, I looked over my right shoulder and, and down the stairs, obviously covering the game for BT Sport, were Patrick Vieira and Martin Keown. And I just looked at them and I thought, oh man, we could do uh, with those two in the side tonight, couldn't we? Um, but yeah, look, it was a massive occasion. And I think Arsenal were overawed by that. I think Arsenal didn't play their game. I think Arsenal went into their shell. I think Arsenal were with, played within themselves. Mikel Arteta had said a lot in the build-up about the fact that he didn't want his players to be scared. He didn't want them to feel like this was something to fear and he wanted them actually to embrace it. But that's easier said than done. It's easy to say when you're in those situations and in those positions, you should just take it in your stride and you should go out there and you should, you know, f you know, you should flourish under the pressure it doesn't always work like that though in reality and we saw that with a number of our players last night um as for the journey back uh, from etihad stadium i, I want to give a shout out to those gooners that drove uh because i know a few of you did and, and a few of us were sort of messaging uh, on the way back because there were motorway closures which made it a nightmare the m6 was closed for a section and then the M1, so the two major motorways that you need to use to get up to Manchester from London, both closed um, through the night, which meant there were diversions, which meant the journey took much, much longer. I mean, I personally started to fall asleep on the way back. I, I really, really struggled with the drive. I had to pull in at a service station and, and I went to sleep in my car for about an hour just to kind of recharge my batteries. And even after that, um, I found it difficult. And I was so relieved when I got home around about 5 a.m. this morning. So maybe I'm a little bit grumpy because I haven't had much sleep, maybe two or three hours tops. Maybe I'm a little bit grumpy because of that. But the majority of my grumpiness and, um, and frustration that probably comes across just in the tone of my voice today is because I thought we got so much, so horribly wrong in such an important game. So let's start off with the team selection. Um, you know, I think Mikel Arteta picked exactly the team that most people expected. I know people had suggested in the build-up to the game that we do different things, that we try to shake it up a bit, that we try to find a way to either protect Rob Holding or, in, in some people's opinion, get him out of the team completely. I always said that I believed Mikel Arteta would play him and I believed that Mikel Arteta would stick to the system uh, that has served him so well in the most part this season. Now, I'd also said that I thought that maybe changing it up too much would be risky because of the fact that, you know, he was kind of damned either way, Mikel Arteta. If he changed it up 
you know, there was a, still a good chance that Arsenal lose away against the side of the quality of Manchester City. And then people say, why did you change it? We've been playing this way all bloody season. It's been fantastic. It's been brilliant. You changed it and you cost us the game. Equally, by sticking with what he did, there are people out there that believe that Mikel Arteta cost us the game. And I want to caveat what I'm about to say with the fact that I absolutely know that it is much easier to do this and to say this stuff with hindsight than it is to preempt what's going to happen and it is to make that right call um, or the call that gets you the result and the outcome that you want sort of in the build-up to a game. Uh, Sephiroth has um, dropped the super chat in there. Don't worry, mate. I am going to get to it. I've starred it. Uh, so I will come back to it a little bit later on. Any questions uh, or anything, just hold fire on those guys because we will do a lengthy Q&A bit a bit later on. And that will just mean that they don't get lost in the live chat. I have starred some of them, so I will come back to a few. Uh, but obviously, when I'm sort of speaking, I, I can't keep across always every single comment. So some will get lost. Uh, so if you've got questions, hold fire and I'll, and I'll get them in a little bit. Um, so, yeah, the, the starting lineup was Ramsdale in goal, White holding Gabriel Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka back in the side, having recovered from his illness to replace Fabio Vieira, Odegaard. And then we had Saka Martinelli either side of Gabby Jesus. And I was pretty happy with that, given the injury to William Saliba. I think, you know, you look at that as 10 of our best 11. Um, it's about as good as you're going to get. But. I, I'd said and I and I felt, especially yesterday when I was doing some build-up stuff to the game, that I didn't expect Arsenal to kind of abandon the way that they've played. And I didn't expect Arsenal to kind of sort of go back to the drawing board in terms of the main principles of what they do in a football match and how they look to attack teams and how they look to build up. For example, I expected us to try and play out from the back. I expected us uh, to try and utilise the half spaces with Odegaard and Xhaka getting up alongside the uh, the front three whenever possible. But I thought that we'd be a little bit more streetwise, a little bit cleverer, and that we'd make slight adaptations and slight tweaks that would help us to ride what was always going to be an early storm in Manchester, and that would help us be more competitive against the side that are currently in better form than us, have been flying over these past few months, can't do anything wrong, have an absolute goal machine of a striker who broke the Premier League record last night, by the way, of a number of goals in a 38-game season already. And he's still got, what, six, seven games to play? I just thought that we'd be a little bit smarter. And I thought that Mikel Arteta's in-depth knowledge of Manchester City, so a lot of those players on an individual level, but also Pep Guardiola's philosophy, should have been able to come up with something a little bit better than what we saw. Now, there's a part of me that thinks because we conceded a goal after just seven minutes, we maybe didn't get to see exactly what Mikel Arteta intended. Maybe that's me giving him the benefit of the doubt. But I didn't see anything over the course of the rest of the game either that suggested we'd we'd looked to do anything differently in order to try and A, cover our weaknesses, but B, exploit theirs. And you build a team and you build from the ground up, you need to have a philosophy that underpins all of that. If you don't, how do you know which players are the right fit? How do you know where you need to be looking in the transfer market? How do you know what you should be looking at? The philosophy underpins all of those things, but you, at the highest level, need to be able to make slight adaptations and slight tweaks to be able to deal with various opponents. You know, you're not going to come up against the Manchester City side every week. So, for example, if Mikel Arteta's philosophy is to play the way we've been playing all season and he doesn't want to change that against Southampton and he doesn't want to change that against West Ham, no matter what the game state, I can understand that and I can get on board with that. But to go to Manchester City and think that we could be as aggressive as we were in terms of squeezing up the pitch and that we could try and impose our game on a side that, you know, we're always going to have a lot of the ball because of how good they are in front of their fans in a game of this magnitude, in a game that they needed to win more than we needed to win, I would say. I think was a little bit naive from Mikel Arteta. I really, really do. 
And I, I don't want to knock him. You know, I've been a, a staunch defender of Mikel Arteta from the day he took over at the club. There's been times where, you know, I felt that, you know, maybe we weren't always heading in the right direction under him. And I had my doubts and, you know, I had my concerns. Um, but, you know, overall, I think he's done a fantastic job. And And what I'm saying today on this show and on this episode should not take away from that. Okay, so don't mistake this for me saying I want Mikel Arteta out or, uh, you know, all the good work he's done means nothing or anything along those lines, because that's not where I'm coming from. But I stand by what I said in that I didn't expect him to change the formation. I didn't expect him to dramatically rip up the plans and start again. But I did expect to see a couple of adaptations, you know, uh, a, a couple of modifications to just deal with some of the issues that we were likely to have. And and I think we were really bad at anticipating what Manchester City were going to do. And people will say that when you refuse to change the way you play or refuse to make those adaptations or modifications to your game in order to help you against a certain opponent, there's a bit of arrogance in that. I think at times you can make that case and you can make that argument. I think arrogance or a, almost a stubbornness in terms of believing your way is the right way and there's nothing else um, that, that is acceptable under these circumstances. I think I think that can be problematic when you go down that route. But I also recognise that you don't actually build a philosophy and you don't actually sort of drive it into the players if every two, three weeks when you come up against a half-decent side, you say, ah, all that stuff, guys, I've been telling you over the past few weeks, all those things I've been asking you to do, all those patterns of play, just park them this weekend and we'll just be a little bit more pragmatic and we'll do a little bit more uh, of the safety first stuff. And that's why when you look at sides lower down the table, right? So when you look at the likes of Brighton, for example, uh, over the last few years, and you recognise that they have a philosophy and they've been able to get results that are very much respectable for the size of the club and where they're at. That's why I believe those managers deserve more credit and more praise than most, because I think it's very easy, particularly at a smaller club, to sort of worry about your opponent too much. And if you do that every single week, then how do you ever build a philosophy and an identity? And so you look at somebody like Brighton and you think, that's fantastic. You've managed to uh, build playing that way the majority of the time, if not all the time. And and you've had to go through some difficult patches to get to that point. So I understand that Mikel Arteta has to do this. And I understand that this is part of the process. And what did he say not so long ago that we're, what, phase three of the five phase plan? So he knows that we're not there yet. He knows that. Uh, we're not at the level that we want to be. And yesterday was a, a real example of that. But to try and squeeze up with a high line like that at the Etihad was suicide. To ask Rob Holding to come out of his central defensive position and engage Erling Haaland in one-on-one -on -one duels in the middle of the park was suicide. And what's even more frustrating is that I don't think we ever really worked out what Manchester City were going to do. Well, if we did, we certainly didn't take any action to try and mitigate that problem. It was very, very clear early on that City had changed it up. You only had to look at the back line. Remember, just a few weeks ago, Carl Walker was uh, being discussed by Pep Guardiola in a press conference, and he said, you know, he, he tactically he's not there. He doesn't understand what we're trying to do at the moment. And that was that, you know, different formation that we'd seen Manchester City sort of move to, where they sort of leave two players at the back. Another two would kind of step into midfield. They were obviously without Nathan Nake, but he didn't bring Laporte in. He brought Kyle Walker in. Was it from fear of Gabriel Martinelli's pace? Was it uh, to give them a threat in the wide area? Was it to make our... Uh, full back in Zinchenko, maybe think twice about going into the midfield as frequently as he normally does or bombing on down that side. Basically, Pep Guardiola outdone Mikel Arteta last night. He outthought him. And in the past, Pep Guardiola has been criticised of overthinking in big games and changing things too drastically. And that then 
going on to have a detrimental effect. But yesterday, his tweak, his decisions, I think, made the difference. I really, really do. Obviously, Manchester City have got some incredibly talented players. You know, you look at Erling Haaland, who we've mentioned, Kevin De Bruyne. And if they don't hurt you, Jack Grealish will. And they brought on off the substitutes bench, Riyad Mahrez, who'd scored a hat-trick at Wembley the weekend before. And then they bring on Julian Alvarez, a World Cup winning striker. So there are levels to this in terms of the depth and in terms of the talent that Manchester City have. But you could see really early on that we'd been outthought. And the most alarming thing for me was not that we'd been outthought from the start, because you don't, you know, how do you know what Pep's going to do? You know, yeah, Mikel Arteta has a good understanding of his philosophy, his ideology, but Pep Guardiola changed it up last night. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. And if you listen to the interviews that both John Stones and Pep Guardiola, John Stones and Pep Guardiola, John Stones and uh, Kevin De Bruyne had given post-match to American television, I think it was, there was a real emphasis on them wanting to bypass our press. They'd experienced it before. They've come up against it already this season. They know that it is one of our weapons and they know that in order to do that, we need to commit our centre-halves up towards the halfway line. And they knew that one of them was Rob Holding and that Rob Holding was unlikely to win many duels against Erling Haaland. They know that Rob Holding was likely to pick up a yellow card in the game. Um, you know, because, of course, Rob Holding has been spun um, by a number of players uh, over sort of recent weeks and he's had to make silly challenges. You think back to that game against Spurs last season. I know he didn't pick up a yellow card on the night, last night, but you know that Rob Holding is susceptible to those things. So he doesn't want to defend in big spaces. He doesn't want to defend as part of a high line and he certainly doesn't want to be stepping into the centre circle to engage. And that's what he had to do in the lead up to City's first goal. He did it again later on in the half where he stepped into the centre circle and he was uh, the second to the ball. Erling Haaland got there first and just poked it into De Bruyne and they had another really good chance off the back of that. So, you know, it's, it, it's Pep Guardiola having that greater nous, having that better understanding of the game recognising where he could hurt Arsenal, also recognising where Arsenal could hurt him and not being arrogant enough to think that despite how much talent he has in the team, he could get the result he desired without paying some respect to the opponent and then making some adjustments accordingly. Mikel Arteta thought that Arsenal could go to Manchester City in a game like this, in a game of this magnitude and play their game without even entertaining the idea, based on what we could see, of changing anything. And that was our undoing. You know, we all saw that Rob Holding looked like a duck out of water, picked on him a lot, and I don't wish to keep doing it. Like, when I say it, it's because I think it's a glaringly obvious problem, not because I want to shoot the guy down. Like, I don't take any pleasure in saying that. I actually think if you put Rob Holding in a back five or if you put Rob Holding in a back four that sits deep and defends on the edge of its box where they allow the opponent to play in front of them and limit the spacing behind, he'd actually do a decent job. But just in this team, in this system, it requires a very specific skill set. You need a centre-half who's got the pace to get across the ground and you need a centre-half who's imposing enough, not just physically, but can also read the game well enough to be able to engage in those one-on-one -on -one battles with someone as good as Erling Haaland. And we just didn't have that. But having said that, this isn't just about the back line. I thought there were a load of players that were completely ineffective last night. Jesus, ineffective. Saka, ineffective. Lost. Martinelli, the same on the other side. Midfield, Granit Xhaka didn't look himself. I don't know if he was still ill. I don't know if he, um, you know, wasn't quite at it fitness wise. He was taken off. And when he went off, he looked like he'd sort of run his course. And we know that he'd only trained, I think, on the Tuesday um, before the game. So, you know, that's maybe understandable. Thomas Partey, again, um, not able to impose himself on the game. But again, you know, I say all of these things, but I say them with the caveat of 
I don't think the system helped them. And I don't think the situations that we put ourselves in helped them. And that is a tactical thing. That is a tactical element, a tactical factor. And that obviously is on the manager rather than the players. So if we talk about the first goal where the ball is pinged into Erling Haaland and, and Manchester City have, have come out and said, players have come out and said that they thought they had to bypass our press. And the best way uh, to do that was to kind of invite either Xhaka or Partey to join in on the press as, as they do. It's normally Granite Xhaka. And that Kevin De Bruyne's job was, and his, his sort of mission was, to go and exploit the, sp the spaces left by either of those players. And he did it. And he did it to such good effect. I always say that you can't press without doing it in unison and as a team. And without the second wave following the first wave and the third wave following that. So that means City knew what was coming. And rather than trying to play around it and potentially losing the ball in dangerous areas, they devised a slightly different strategy, which was to clip the ball up into Erling Haaland, trusting that he would A, go and put himself on Rob Holding, and then be able to hold him off and be able to link up with either one of the midfielders that was going to then make that run beyond him. Jack Grealish was very good last night as well, but Kevin De Bruyne was the one who sort of dropped into those pockets of space left by the Arsenal midfielders when they were going on the press. And then as soon as the ball was clipped into Haaland, his job was to get as close to him as possible or to get beyond him. And you can't give players of Kevin De Bruyne's quality the space that we did. Watching that first goal live in the flesh, I must admit, I looked at it and I went, Aaron, you've got to do better there. Uh, this idea of goalkeepers getting beaten at their near post is a problematic one for me. Whenever I see a goalkeeper get beaten at his near post, my first thing is, you should have done better there. And I, I, I still think that Ramsdale could have done better. But the other thing is as well, is that when Kevin De Bruyne takes that ball, and he starts driving towards the back line and then he cuts back onto his right foot. I don't think Gabriel does a good enough job of jockeying him and forcing him wider. I think he he just reacts too slowly to that sort of check to the right-hand side from Kevin De Bruyne. And Kevin De Bruyne gets the shot off early, which catches Aaron Ramsdale by surprise and just allows him to exploit that angle where he can sort of bend the ball around Ramsdale's dive and it just about creep in. Uh, to the near post. Look, the technical ability required to to pull off a finish like that, fantastic. And nobody should take anything away from Kevin De Bruyne, who for me is the best player in the Premier League, even above Erling Haaland. But I think it was avoidable. And I think the whole transitional situation that we found ourselves in, in that moment, was avoidable. Because for me, and when I talk about tweaks and adjustments and you know, just making slight modifications. One of the modifications I would have made would have been don't be as aggressive in your press in the first 10, 15 minutes. I know Mikel Arteta is a big believer in fast starts. And I know that at times we've been able to catch teams cold like that. But you're at Manchester City here in a must not lose more than it is a must win. And so for me, my modification, my tweak, and it, again, I appreciate it's easier to say this in hindsight, would have been don't be as aggressive in your press for the first 10, 15 minutes. Just keep it tight. Be safe. Get on the ball. Get your players in in possession. Knock the ball around a bit. Settle down into the environment. Take in the surroundings. Set yourself up to then be able to kind of gradually grow into the game and build a base level of confidence on an occasion that has the potential to overawe you. And we didn't do that because we conceded a goal within seven minutes. And the rest of the first half after that was an absolute shit show. It really, really was. Now, I know Stones didn't score the second goal until the 46th minute. But the rest of the half was a shit show. And I'll tell you why it was a shit show. Because A, we didn't create anything. For all our bravery in terms of our positioning, being high up the pitch, looking to press high up, being aggressive in that sense. When we got the ball, we weren't brave at all. Nobody wanted to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Nobody really had an idea or a clue as to how they could get at this Manchester City side. Individuals that normally like to pick up the ball and drive with it just weren't doing it. You know, the ball would go out to Saka and rather than looking to take on Manuel Akanji, who's a wonderful defender, he'd pop it back inside. 
And then Odegaard would get it on the corner of the box. And rather than maybe take a shot on or try to make something happen himself, he'd roll it inside to Partey. And the same on the left with Martinelli. He'd get the ball there. But Carl Walker always had the pace to keep up with him. Unbelievable athlete is Carl Walker. And so Martinelli would pop it back inside. And it just felt like, you know, we, we were brave in terms of our positioning or stupid, depending on how you want to frame it. Yet in the attacking third, we offered absolutely nothing. That's as blunt as I've seen Arsenal look in a long, long time. And for all the criticism we've given them over the past few weeks, where they've, of course, struggled to defend and, and failed to hold on to leads and conceded far too many goals for my liking, that, in terms of goal scoring and in terms of being a threat at the other end, hasn't really been a problem, but it really was last night. We also gave up a couple more massive chances in that first period. A number of which came from similar scenarios. So, yes, it's on Mikel Arteta, I think, to make those tweaks and to make those adjustments. And I think in-game as well, he's got a responsibility to spot those things. Sometimes looking from the outside in, it's easier to identify these issues and then get those messages across and pass them on to your players. But at the same time, this is where the players need to grow up and where the players need to mature. And, you know, somebody like, and again, I'm not picking on an individual because I think everybody was guilty of this last night, but somebody like Granit Xhaka has to look around him, look at what's going on, look at the spaces that Kevin De Bruyne is popping up in and going, yeah, I'm going to just sort of settle down here a little bit and I'm going to be a little bit more conservative in my movements because we're getting overrun in an area of the pitch that I'm responsible for. and it. It just never happened. Now, the manager is obviously trying to drum home his ideology. Be brave. Play our way. Play our way. Play our way. Even when we were 1-0 down. But that's not how it goes in situations like this. You know, what needed to happen was Arsenal needed to make sure they went in at half time, At least just the one goal down. Therefore, giving themselves an opportunity to get in at the break, to maybe make some tweaks, maybe make some changes and go out in the second half and give it a right go. The nature of the second goal that we conceded, first of all, we're talking about margins with regards to the offside. But if you're not sure, then you don't leave him there at the far post. You know, we just... It was just, I, I remember looking at the clock at that point and going, okay, we're going to get in at halftime at 1-0 and then bang, that goal goes in. And obviously the whole, um, you know, the whole VAR thing adds to the drama and the suspense and all of that jazz. And, and that makes it kind of harder to take. But the truth is we should have conceded at least a couple more before the break anyway, On based on the chances that City created. There was um, that one where Haaland got the ball inside the box, lovely bit of quick footwork and he just made the, Space for the shot forced a good save down to his right from um, from Aaron Ramsdale. There was another save from Ramsdale where there was a ball cut back uh, to um, to Erling Haaland, left-footed shot saved by Ramsdale down low, and then he had the presence of mind to just kick it away right-footed as he was down on the ground. So there were chances for Manchester City. It wasn't as if you know, we then regained composure after conceding the first goal. We settled down. We started to grow into the game and we got done by a set piece on the stroke of half time, which really sent us into a spin. No, that wasn't the case. We were very, very fortunate that it was only two at the break. And so you get the guys in at half time. And well, now you've got a mountain to climb. And now you have to be brave because you're two nil down. And I just think that the whole approach was wrong. And it was, it wasn't, awful like I get the sentiment behind it I understand the idea behind it but I just think it was naive that's probably the best word I can use to explain my feelings on how Arsenal set up and how Arsenal approached that game and and then when everybody on an individual level is having a stinker as well which I certainly felt was the case if your tactics are wrong too then what chance do you have and we ended up getting absolutely battered by a side that you know, on their day, you know, at their best are better than us. I think most people accept that and acknowledge that. Um, you know, we know that. But over the course of the season, 
we've been brilliant. We've led the way. And and people, you know, neutrals, people that aren't Arsenal fans that had spoken to me yesterday had, you know, been saying, oh, I can't wait for this game. It's going to be a cracker. It's going to be a cracker. And a lot of the messages I've had today are, what happened to Arsenal? You know, that wasn't what I expected to see. That was really poor. That was really lacklustre. It didn't, it didn't, feel like the Arsenal that we'd seen throughout the course of the season so far. And I, I completely understand that. And I completely agree with that. So, yeah, it was bitterly, bitterly disappointing. And you think about the other goals. You know, you look at the um, the third goal, which was obviously the killer. I think the second was, was uh, a killer as well. But the third one, the way that comes about, Xhaka puts his foot on the ball in midfield. He's desperate to pass the ball to Martin Odegaard. He just isn't on balance. You know, he's 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 not he's he's come over Martin Odegaard. He's off balance. He doesn't want the ball there. If you're going to give him the ball there, Granite, you have to delay it just that split second to let him regain his balance. And what he does is he pings it into him. He's off balance. He plays a, a short pass as a result, and City nick it back. And then Kevin De Bruyne goes on a run in that inside left channel. Haaland plays the ball to Kevin De Bruyne. Thomas Partey doesn't make anywhere near enough effort, in my opinion, to get back. Holding doesn't really do enough in order to try and make it difficult for Kevin De Bruyne. He lets him open up his body and get it onto his right side way too easily. And in goes the third. And then the fourth was um, was another sort of really cheap, soft goal to concede. Arsenal got a goal back, of course, a consolation goal. Rob Holding with an excellent finish. Maybe he's better at that end of the pitch. I don't know. But yeah, it was just such a disappointing night overall. And I really feel for the Arsenal fans that made that journey last night. I really feel for for those that, you know, had come from really far away. Um, sort of, I had a, a five-hour trip home in the end because I had to stop and sleep. I was that tired. I found it really, really difficult. Um, and I was so dejected on my way back and so dejected this morning and still feel really, really dejected about it. So I can only imagine uh, what those who went to greater effort to be there were feeling. Really, really difficult night for Arsenal fans, a really, really difficult uh, one to take. I guess that's kind of where I'm at now with this game. Like I, I'll kind of summarise how I feel about the title race in a little bit. I'm just trying to think if there's anything I want to add on this game specifically. I think I've covered all the bases in terms of what I wanted to uh, sort of highlight. You know, I don't want to talk about, um, you know, oh, that, that was the other bit, power. That was the other bit I was looking for, power. You just look at that Manchester City side and it's full of physical power. And we don't seem to have that. We just seem to lack that, don't we? Like in the forward areas, for example, we could never clip the ball up to Jesus or to Martinelli or to Saka and, and see them physically hold someone off in the way that Erling Haaland can. I know he's a one in a million. He's a beast. He's a machine. I get all of that. But I just, you know, we just looked really weak. And that was defensively as well. I mean, in the midfield, Thomas Partey didn't look at it again. And you compare his performance to Rodri's, for example, and how Rodri sort of goes through people and is this incredible unit in the middle of the park. I just think Manchester City have got an abundance of technical ability, but my God, have they got some power in that team as well. And we just don't seem to have that. And that's something that I think was really missing last night and something that we need to add probably in the summer. So I think we probably do need a centre forward who can give us that option, a different option. And I think we probably need someone like Declan Rice because I think he'd bring power to that midfield as well. I think Moises Caicedo would bring power to that midfield too. So that's definitely something that is was on my kind of... When I was sitting there, when we got to sort of like the last half an hour of the game and, and it was abundantly clear that Arsenal weren't going to get anything out of it, what do you do? You know, what, what sort of mode do you go into? I went into the mode of that team that we're watching in front of us in the light blue shirts, that's where we want to be. That's the destination. That's where we're trying to get to. So what have they got that we don't have? And I was kind of sitting there writing a little list of just sort of elements that they have that we don't. And power was a word that I that constantly came into my head in challenges, in terms of pace, in terms of um, physicality, 
you know, they also have that nasty side to them as well. A lot of people talk about Man City as being this pretty footballing team and they are that as well. But like, you know, they do have a bit of bite to them as well. And, and they've got the perfect balance, I think, um, in uh, in that sense. So that's kind of it from me on this game um, in terms of my views and my opinions. Uh, that's kind of my summary of it in a little bit more depth than the one I provided with you guys last night. Uh, I am going to take a very, very short pause and then I've got a quick message from our sponsors and then uh, we're going to spend the last 15 minutes or so of the program going through your questions from the live chat. So if you've got any, pop them in the chat now, put a little cue at the start of it. It just makes it easier for me to pick it out from uh, from the comment section. Uh, so bear with us. We're going to take a very, very short pause and we will be back. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Now, as you may have heard, the podcast is currently being sponsored by our good friends over at NordVPN. NordVPN was named Times 2022's best invention or one of their best inventions. Uh, what is a VPN? I hear some of you guys asking. Well, it's a virtual private network, which means you can log in to the internet with an added layer of security and you can select virtually from which location you are logging in. Virtual locations and being able to select them, um, being able to set yourself as being virtually based elsewhere has a number of benefits. And I'll explain to you a little bit about what some of them are. So uh, there's an added layer of security. You can protect all of your data uh, by logging in uh, to the internet via NordVPN by having one active having the software active on your device, it really, really does uh, make it impossible for people to sort of uh, hack you, for people to get hold of your details. And we know that online fraud is a big, big issue right now. Also, changing your virtual location allows you to access streams and TV shows and films and video content that you maybe wouldn't be able to access in different parts of the world. So an example for me is when I like to watch uh, the odd Greek football game. Most of them are dreadful, so I don't do it too often. But when I'm looking to do it and I want to go and stream uh, some of the Greek channels, I always find that they're geo-blocked from here in the UK and it's impossible for me to do so. But with NordVPN, I can set my virtual location to Greece or to Cyprus. That then allows me to be able to access content from those countries uh, because my browser thinks I'm in that country because that's where I've set my virtual location on NordVPN and that allows me to access things uh, that I couldn't ordinarily access. I like to uh, sometimes change my virtual location to the United States, log in on Netflix, have a look. Sometimes uh, there are different things on there and things that appeal to me and things that I want to watch. So you'll be able to access a whole new load of things by being able to change your location. For example, if you want to book flights to the United States, perhaps it's cheaper to book them from that end. So why not change your virtual location to the United States and you'll get those prices coming through? It's um, the price of a cup of coffee per month, which is nothing. I'm sure you'll agree, um, given the benefits that you stand to gain uh, from having a NordVPN subscription. And if you do it via the Chronicles of Aguna, you'll get a huge discount as well as four months free at the end of your plan. So how do you sign up? Uh, you go down into the description below and you visit the link there. You sign up via that link and you'll be able uh, to do all of those wonderful things that I've mentioned. You'll have NordVPN available to you uh, for its protection, but also for all the other benefits as well. Uh, check them out, NordVPN. Thank them so much for their support of the podcast. It really, really means the world to me. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of you uh, are already enjoying this service and plenty more of you uh, will be enjoying this service by the time uh, our further months promo uh, runs out. So do check it out. Thank you. Okay, plenty of questions. Plenty of questions uh, in the live chat box. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into these. Um, I'm just going to start the ones that have got cues um, at the beginning of them so that they go into like a separate pocket uh, on the software that I'm using. And that means I can then select from just the questions. Um, there was uh, an interesting uh, super chat earlier on in the show from Sephiroth. So a big thank you to you, my friend. 
for your donation towards the channel. He says, Harry, shouldn't Arteta adapt to teams like Pep? I mean, you you sent this before we kind of addressed that point, um, but I'm sure you gauged that, that, yeah, that's very much my opinion. If you're as good as Pep and you've got the players that Pep's got and your team is as good as Manchester City and you're still not arrogant enough to think that you will get through every game playing your way without making any adaptations and changes. There is no reason why Arsenal, who have been great this season, but are obviously still developing in a lot of ways, should feel that they can go to the Etihad and get away with not doing those things. That's my personal opinion. Now, it's easy to say this stuff with hindsight. And if Arsenal had won the game or even got a point yesterday, I'd have been coming away saying, good on Mikel Arteta, he stuck to his gun. So I recognise that we say a lot of this stuff with the benefit of hindsight. But I just thought that even though I didn't expect the system to be drastically different, I expected to see a couple of little bits and pieces tactically that we don't normally see in a bid to try and deal with the questions that Manchester City were going to pose of us. But I didn't see anything, and that frustrated me, along with the result, of course. Uh, Adair says, questions need to be asked of Partey. He's been abject over the last four matches, totally absent last night. I think not having William Saliba around him is causing Thomas Partey a lot of discomfort in midfield in that he normally has the centre-halves a lot closer to him. Um, and the distance between him and Saliba is normally quite small because Saliba does have that mobility and pace to be able to get up and down the pitch. And because of those things and the confidence that William Saliba has, he's able to squeeze up that bit further and that helps Thomas Partey out. I think Ben White having to help Rob Holding out means that he's less able to tuck in midfield alongside Thomas Partey at times as well. And with Zinchenko having dropped off in terms of his form, I think, in recent weeks as well on the left, it means that Gabriel is babysitting him a little bit more as well. So I think this is... I agree with you that Thomas Partey's fallen off and his performances haven't been good enough. And some of the individual mistakes are inexcusable from the Ghanaian. But what I will say is I think the collective has suffered as a result of Saliba's injury and, and Partey falls into uh, that category. Uh, James G says, hi, Harry. Everything comes down to expectations. Few expected us to be in this position at the start of the season. Few would have expected us to beat City at theirs, but we expected a higher level. As a mate of mine said earlier on when we were sort of messaging about the game, he said, there are ways to lose. And and I you know, normally in the past, I might have said, you know, that's a flippant comment. It's one of those cliches that we hear banded around in football, but there are ways to lose. You know, you go out swinging if you're going to go there and look to play an attacking game, or if you lose narrowly, despite sort of keeping your opponent at bay, uh, for the majority of the game, you come away saying, well, at the very least, that was a valiant effort. We didn't get any of those things last night. We didn't get an Arsenal side that, you know, were were too brave and therefore left spaces in behind and therefore got exposed. We didn't see that. What we saw was an Arsenal that couldn't pack a punch up front, but also were really, really poor defensively. Um, what else have we got? Let's pick up a couple more. Let's take this one from Halo, who says, is the difference right now the level? at 4-1 between Man City and Arsenal. Something tells me that result yesterday reflects more the mentality in the game rather than the level. Yeah, I think one team are very streetwise, have been there, done it, have got the quality um, and the know-how, and one team have the quality but maybe don't have the know-how um, and, and maybe have just sort of run out of steam at the, the business end of the season. Because I think mentally at this stage, it's it's really important. People talk a lot about preparation in Manchester City's case where they've got games every three days. There won't be a lot of training going on in between those games. It will be about the mental side of it and managing that. Uh, Pete Geary says, uh, what would you do for the Chelsea game? Well, Chelsea are in dire straits. You know, I, I think I tweeted something earlier on because um, I'd had a few messages today from Chelsea fans and co uh, friends and colleagues of mine that, that follow Chelsea Football Club wanting to stick the boot in on Arsenal Spurs as well. And my response was basically, look, one of you is likely to be playing in the Europa Conference League next season with Ryan Mason in charge, whilst the other hasn't even reached the magical 40-point mark in the Premier League. So I think those two sets of supporters need to be focusing on their own issues. But in terms of our game against Chelsea, what would I do, you ask? I think I'd st stay the same. You know, if... If Mikel Arteta can't make the justification in his own mind for tweaking things 
away at Manchester City. He's certainly not going to sort of um, back down on his principles at home against the Chelsea side that are 11th in the table that got beaten at home by Brentford last night and that are managed by, in my opinion, a hopeless Frank Lampard. Um, it's kind of a good game in a way for us to have next because obviously it's a London derby, so there's a little bit of spice to it. There's a little bit more edge. Um, they're in dreadful form. But also the name Chelsea is a big enough name that if we can win the match and win it convincingly in front of our own fans, it kind of gives you enough based on the fact that it's Chelsea to help maybe spark your team back into life and to rebuild some of that confidence. And and I've said for, for weeks now, one of my biggest frustrations would be not so much us missing out on the Premier League title, because if we're second best, we're second best. But what would really hurt is if Manchester City did drop points because there's been this assumption over the past couple of months that they're going to win every single game. If they do drop points and we're not at least in a position to make them sweat about it because we've gone and dropped silly points having fallen off mentally, then that will really, really be hard to take. So let's get back to winning ways. Let's just do our job. You know, let's try and win all our games. Um, let's try and pick up as many points as we can and, and just keep our fingers crossed because stranger things have happened. It's not done and dusted just yet. City have games in hand, but they've got to win them first. So, um, yeah, with regards to the Chelsea game, I digressed a little bit there, Pete, but I'd, I'd go with the same. I, as I say, I, I I don't really know what I would do um, in terms of really sort of trying to reinvent the wheel. But given that Mikel Arteta didn't feel that that was necessary up at Manchester City in terms of taking extra precautions, I find it hard to believe he would do that at home to Chelsea. Paul James says City have got the better manager, more experience, the squad to rotate, better tactics, nous, ruthlessness and self-belief. Can we ever really run them closer than this season? Well, this is and this is something that's irritated me a little bit. Not you, Paul, but there seems to be this narrative that is going around the media at the moment and is sort of flying around um where people are saying, you know, Arsenal have had an excellent season. We acknowledge that. Fantastic. Brilliant. But the problem here is that this is their best chance to win the league in the next however many years. And I understand why people would think that, you know, you look at Liverpool, they've had a disappointing season. You look at Chelsea where they are. You look at the fact that Manchester United aren't aren't ready to, to really mount a challenge yet. I get all of that. And I think every season there are a couple of teams that we look at and that we had expectations for who just failed to deliver. So I don't think you can obsess with that um, and, and sort of be too focused on that. But what I seem to struggle with is this idea that everybody else is going to improve, but Arsenal aren't. When you look at how Arsenal have improved over the last 12 months, that should give you encouragement. And, and the fact that we're back in the Champions League should give you belief in the ownership that they will help Mikel Arteta in the transfer market by continuing to build the squad. Who was I talking to yesterday? I can't remember who I was talking to. Um, I think it was Steve Brown, former Charlton defender. We were talking on uh, BBC Radio London and he said something along the lines of, you know, Arsenal's squad is still going through that building process. And the next step is that they need to kind of improve on the bottom 10, 15% of the squad. And that is the next stage. And so if we can do that, then all of a sudden you lose someone and it isn't as much of a drop off. And that's what Arsenal need to get to. So I believe that Arsenal will continue to improve. And so I'm not really obsessing over what everybody else does. And I'm certainly not obsessing over this idea of this was our only chance, because if that's the kind of mindset that the players have had, then that is going to weigh heavy. And you don't want that. You know, you've got to continue to to build your project you've got to continue to improve your group and and sort of take strides forward and if you do that you know there's no reason why we shouldn't be ahead of a lot of these clubs maybe some of them are going to spend more money than us maybe some of them are going to go out and buy um you know elite players and, and bring in top level coaches but we've progressed and we should believe in that progression and um and trust that that's going to continue now i haven't seen anything this season to suggest that we've on backwards. In fact, it's been the opposite. And although we've sort of leveled out, I would say over the last few weeks, more than dropped off, I would um, 
I would say that there's nothing really alarming in terms of whether I feel like we're going to be able to to move on. Uh, Paul James says, you misunderstand my question. I think we'll improve again next season, but so will City. I think we'll be their closest challengers again this season. Does that uh, next season? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. You feel like this is a, a big opportunity, but you, you do expect Arsenal to improve, and you expect City to improve as well. I, I get that. I think that makes um, a, a lot of sense. And when I was talking about this narrative around Arsenal not improving, it wasn't aimed at you, Paul. It's a it's a general thing because I've, I've got colleagues that have been saying that constantly. Well, if Arsenal don't win the league this year, they're never going to win it, and they're not going to win it for another twenty years. Blah blah blah. It's just based on nothing. And it's based on the assumption that everybody else is going to get better and we're not, which I can't get my head around, given that we're the ones that have improved in recent times. Uh, just going to take a couple more of your questions. Uh, Wesbird says, do you think the players are suffering from PTSD since the Liverpool game? And some players, players are shell-shocked and their heads have gone a bit and need to be taken out of the firing line, potentially. Maybe. Um, but the problem is that we don't have enough quality to be able to take a lot of these guys out of the firing line and replace them sufficiently. That's the issue with this Arsenal squad. And that's where the depth bit comes into it again, isn't it? Um, I don't think that the Liverpool game was too bad this time. We've had some really bad outings at Anfield. I thought this one was disappointing in that we were leading the game, but to come away with a point, I think was was OK. Um, I just think when you rely heavily on a lot of young players, you will get these ups and downs in terms of their performance levels. And when they do have these dips, without having that experience of having navigated these periods, you know, a load of times in your career, you don't always know how to come out of them quickly. And that's kind of what I would put it down to. But yeah, I, I agree with the um, the heads have gone a little bit thing. Maybe the pressure's weighing too much. Um, on some of these guys, but hey, here's what it is. Okay, um, should we get one more in? Should we squeeze one more in before I say goodbye? Uh, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Just scrolling through, I'm just going to pick one at random. Um, here we go. Malesi says, Tierney not playing. Could it be some non-footballing reasons? I just don't get it, especially in a game we needed to defend more. So, I don't think it's anything other than football reasons. Um, I've got no reason to believe that Kieran Tierney's done something. Beg your pardon, random sneeze coming on there. Um, I've got no reason to believe there's any issue regarding Kieran Tierney. I think that Mikel Arteta has really enjoyed uh, watching um, sort of Zinchenko go into midfield. And I think he's enjoyed having another lieutenant out on the pitch in terms of a natural vocal leader who understands what it takes to to win things and understands what it takes to get over the line, but also understands Mikel Arteta's footballing philosophy to a much higher level. I think that Kieran Tierney certainly cannot play um, the Zinchenko role, but I also accept that Zinchenko defensively is a liability. And I've said that all season. I think there are games where what he brings on the ball outweighs the issues that he has off of it. And so we take that gamble and we take that risk. And when you've got Saliba in the team and you've got essentially a back three, which kind of takes shape when, uh, when Zinchenko steps into midfield, then we can kind of cope with that. But without Saliba, we, we can't. And, Yep, Kieran is a better defender. He likes to go on the outside, but I think he gets into the spaces that Martinelli wants to utilise. And we've heard Mikel Arteta uh, say in the past that, um, that uh, of course, you know, he feels that Tierney and Martinelli aren't quite the right combination. So I'm not surprised that he's not playing. Um, I, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he's a good player. And I think that... He's got every right to feel like he probably deserves more chances. And actually, I've become quite frustrated with Zinchenko in the last few weeks because I don't think he's having the impact on the ball. And with the exception of a few huddles and, and sort of trying to get the crowd on down, I don't think he's bringing very much at the moment. I've got to say that. Um, so, yeah, I think Tierney's got a case at the moment. I do. Uh, Palash says, considering this trophyless season, hey, it's not over yet, okay? Uh, what will be your expectation from Arteta next season, Premier League or Champions League? 
or he's asking, will it be sort of that level of trophy of Premier League or a Champions League? I think. Um, so my expectation at the start of this season was to get Champions League qualification by hook or by crook and to see improvement. I've definitely seen improvement and we've qualified for the Champions League. So as far as I'm concerned, Mikel Arteta has earned the right to continue without there being those dissenting voices. We haven't bottled it. We've leveled out and we're being chased down by an absolute juggernaut of a team that have got the better of some of the really strong Liverpool sides of recent years, very, very regularly. So, you know, to say it's a trophyless season, I think is is looking at it glass half empty when actually what you should be looking at is the fact that we've qualified for the Champions League with, what, five games to spare? You know, we're probably going to finish at the very least second, which is two positions higher than I was expecting. The fact that we've been in the title race until the last few weeks of the season, and we're still in it technically, so we're probably going to be in it mathematically right down to the end. I think it's progression. And people like to measure teams on trophies. And, and I understand that fans want to win trophies. And I understand that that is a good way to gauge how well a club is doing. But make no mistake about it. Finishing in the Champions League for Arsenal is much more significant for the football club financially, in terms of their status, in terms of helping them to go out and attract the names that they want next season. That is much more significant than Arsenal winning a Carabao Cup or winning an FA Cup. That's the truth. Now, people will say, and and I can sort of tie this into uh, what I'm saying now, Sephiroth's question is, Harry, the most painful thing is we got kicked out of the competition, a lot of cup competitions early, and still let City catch us, even though they're in most competitions. But the big difference, Sephiroth, is that we don't have the squad to compete on multiple fronts. We just don't have it at the moment. Now, if we have another big summer and we add to the squad and with Champions League football next season, we do not give it a good go alongside maintaining what we've set in terms of a standard in the Premier League this season. I'll be the first one to be critical. But I knew at the start of this season that we didn't have the squad. And we knew at some point that Mikel Arteta was going to have to decide between what was important and what was not. And as the season went on, he'd have looked at Arsenal's league position and gone, I need to take, I need to take a decision here. And my decision is going to be that the Premier League takes precedent. And he made changes in the Europa League. He sort of played with a half and half team, didn't he? Half of our best 11. And then he played the other half the following week. And, and we got beaten because on the continent, you can't take these things for granted. We got beaten by Sporting Lisbon. Freak goal from them to force it to a penalty shootout in the end. Um, but we got dumped out and, and you have to accept that. People sort of crying about the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup this year. I'll say what I've said throughout the duration of the season. Would I like Arsenal to win a cup every year? Of course I would. I love the day out at Wembley. I love all that goes with it. I love being able to point at Spurs down the road and saying, look, we got another trophy. You haven't. I love all of that. But at the start of the season, as I told you, my hope and my expectation was get back in the Champions League. Make no mistake about it. Internally, the objective was to get back in the Champions League. You're Mikel Arteta. You know you don't have the squad to compete on four fronts. So you've got to prioritise. Well, I can tell you straight away that the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup are the bottom two in that list. And why? Because neither of those, as I've said on numerous occasions this season, offers you a route into the Champions League, which is ultimately where you want to be. Win the Europa League, you don't just get a European trophy, but you get a place in next season's Champions League group stage. Win the Carabao Cup, what'd you get? Win the FA Cup, what'd you get? Prize money is minimal. If you look at the prize money you get for those two competitions, it, it doesn't even touch the sides in terms of what you get in terms of TV revenue for making the Champions League group stage. You know, th th those two competitions were always going to be at the bottom of the pile. Now, maybe when the squad is bigger, you'll be able to go, OK, let's give that a go as well. But at this stage in our development, remember, according to Mikel Arteta, we're in phase three of five. 
I don't want to see us get knocked out of competitions early any more than the next Arsenal fan does. But I understand why those decisions had to be made and I understand why we had to prioritise things. Some people say that, you know, winning, 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 winning and making sure that you're focused on all competitions, it breeds winning and it it keeps momentum going and stuff. And for a club like Manchester City, where they can play an FA Cup semi-final, make five changes to the side and still be absolutely fine, that makes a lot of sense. But we can't do that because the minute we make two changes, one change in the case of holding for Saliba, we're not the same team because we don't have that strength in depth. If if we, as I say, if we go out again in the summer and we bring in a couple more players, three, four more players that are going to help enhance the squad and we move on some of the dead rubber players that have been there, in my opinion, too long, i.e. Rob Holding, and we replace them with better people and better options, then I will turn around and say, come on, we need to do uh, a bit better here and we need to be competing on multiple fronts. But at this point, I think it's just one of those things we we have to... I'm not going to say accept because I, do, I don't think that's the right word, but something we have to at least understand. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Hope that long podcast monologue, whatever you want to call it, uh, helped in some way, shape or form. Still got to be there to take advantage of any City mistakes if they do come along. I do think the title's gone. Um, but as I said to you guys earlier on, there would be nothing worse than City going and dropping the points. And because we took our foot off the gas or completely lost our heads, we weren't there to capitalise on that. So we have to make sure we're there. That's all we can do. Let's end the season on a high. Don't want the season to fizzle out because it's been great. But if it does fizzle out, that can impact the mood going into the summer. I don't want that. Let's get back to winning ways. Let's finish on as as much of a high as possible. And if finishing second is, is where we end up, so be it. It will still be a really good season. The goal at the start, the Champions League qualification has been achieved. That happened mathematically last night and that obviously got lost uh, in the kind of discussion because of the uh, the outcome and I, I understand why it wasn't the time to talk about that kind of stuff but hey um, we've done that and that's great and you're going to be hearing that Champions League music uh, back at the carpet next season okay uh, I'll leave it there I'll see you all tomorrow with another episode uh, maybe we'll do some Q&A uh, maybe we'll do a bit of transfer stuff because I feel like a lot of people's heads are looking towards the summer now because they feel like the title's gone. I think that's still a little bit premature, but maybe we'll start to look at some transfer targets as well because I've talked about the need to add players. So we'll start with a bit of that. We'll do some questions as well. Um, no game for Arsenal this weekend, which I'm kind of glad about. I, I feel like I just need a bit of distance uh, now. I was at the Youth Cup game on Tuesday. I was at the Etihad on Wednesday. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been a bit much and, and they were both disappointing outcomes. So, yeah, uh, a few days off uh, from the Arsenal is, is, isn't a bad thing. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, take care. Stay safe. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.